everyone. I'm Ashley Easter and welcome to the Courage 365 show. I'm so excited to have you join us today. We've had so many other great shows in the past and I know this show is not going to be an exception to that rule because today we have a therapist on the show. His name is Mike Phillips and I'm going to be introducing him to you in just a few minutes. Um, if you have not followed Mike Phillips on Twitter, it's very, very interesting conversations that he has there, all about therapy, all about, you know, just just all kinds of relationship stuff that you might not necessarily think of on your own. So I'm going to tell you how to get connected with him later on in the show. But before we do that, I actually wanted to talk to you a little bit about therapy in general. And uh, there's a big stigma about therapy, particularly in different communities. So um, I know in a lot of African-American communities, there has been a misuse of therapy on people of color. And so sometimes um, it can be a scary thing. And so I'm really thankful for the African-American therapists and people of color therapists that are really leading the way in this field and breaking down that stigma. There's also stigma from people who go to a lot of evangelical churches. There's this idea that, you know, you can just pray it away and it's going to be okay if you just, you know, talk to your pastor. And um, if your pastor is not a licensed therapist, there are a lot of conversations that you shouldn't be trusting your pastor with as far as mental health goes. And um, so we're going to be talking all about a specific type of therapy today, but I want to give you some of the tips that I use when choosing a therapist. These are things that I've used for myself. I've had multiple therapists over my survivor journey, and some of them have been great, some of them have been so-so, and then some of them had some really problematic things about them. So I have come up with a list of questions that I ask therapists before I go to their office before I sit down and share vulnerable things. And it can be really frustrating if you go to a therapist and you share things and you spill your whole story and then you find out you're not a good fit. That can be really discouraging for survivors. So what I like to encourage survivors to do is to interview therapists on the phone before you go to your first session. You need to remember that therapists work for you, and anytime you want to step away from a relationship, if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel like you're getting your needs met, that is okay, and you as the client, you get to decide that. So that's the first step, is just looking at a therapy relationship as you know a client relationship where you get to choose. And then when I'm on the phone interviewing a new therapist, these are the questions I like to ask. One, are you a licensed therapist? Have you been trained as a real therapist? Now, this might seem like a no-brainer to some, but if you've grown up in a religious community, what you may um, be familiar with or not familiar with is that there are people that call themselves biblical therapists or newthetic counselors. And these people can be well-meaning, but they are not licensed therapists. And I do not encourage people who've experienced abuse to go and talk to these specific type of therapists who don't also have a therapy degree. It's kind of like if you had your leg severed, somebody had just like cut on your leg, would you go to your pastor's office and be like, um, you know, I've got this severed leg problem, you know, can you help me? A good pastor would say, oh my goodness, I'm gonna call the ambulance, I'm gonna get you to the hospital so a doctor can work on this issue. 
Same thing with therapy. There's actually changes that happen in your brain when you experience trauma. It's a very complex issue. And um, if you're experiencing relationship abuse, uh, your pastor may not be trained in actually what to look for in an abusive relationship. So they might just give you Bible verses and ideas that aren't actually suitable for a relationship where abuse is present. So asking the therapist first and foremost, are you a licensed therapist? And uh, making sure that they really are. Number two is, are they trauma informed? Uh, There are all different types of therapists. There are people who focus on families. There are people who focus on eating disorders. There are people who focus on sexual trauma. There are people who focus on LGBT matters. All of these different types of things. Hopefully people who are licensed therapists have gotten trauma informed, but for each of these different specific areas, there might be different levels of trauma informed that they are. They may not have worked a lot with clients Um, who've experienced the things that you have, which leads me to the next thing. Not only are they trauma-informed, but do they specialize in what your needs are? Do they specialize in the type of situation that you're going through? If you are struggling with an eating disorder, you're probably not going to go to a therapist who focuses on marriage relationships, unless that is another focus of theirs as well. So making sure you know what their specialty is. And lastly, Make sure they're anti-patriarchal. Okay, so I've run into this personally. This is a bit of a personal pet peeve I have. Um, But I have gone to therapists that actually were licensed and were trauma-informed, but were also very patriarchal. And uh, this was not helpful for me as a survivor of abuse, of abuse in patriarchal environments. And they gave me some information that was not at all helpful. In fact, it was really hard to hear it coming from another expert authority figure. So make sure if there's things like that, that could potentially be a trigger for you, make sure you ask that ahead of time. And you have the right to ask those questions before you get in the office. You can make those calls and see if it's a right fit. And then if they check those boxes, check out the office. Go on in, get a session, and um, enjoy your relationship with a caring person who is there to help you heal. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about today at the beginning of this show. And I'm really excited to introduce to you a trauma-informed therapist. But before we do that, let's um, jump into the first ad here. So there's choices that you have the opportunity to make. You can either stay with your abuser or you can leave. And make no mistake about it, it's gonna be hard either way you go. But I can tell you one thing for sure. If you do decide to make that courageous decision to go, there's hope, so much hope. Hey everyone, Ashley Easter here on the Courage 365 show, and I am pleased to introduce you to our special guest, Mike Phillips. Hey Mike, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Ashley. It's it's great to be here. 
Oh, we are so honored to have you. And like I said in the beginning of the show, um, following you on Twitter has been just so wonderful for me. I've learned so much from you. I like how you go and talk about different taboo subjects. It's really fascinating to me. And I'd just like to tell the audience a little bit about you. Um, I'm going to read your bio real quick. So uh, Mike Phillips is a trauma therapist specializing in EMDR and internal family systems. He pastored for 35 years concurrent to being a therapist. This is the kind of pastor you could talk to. Uh, (laughs) He's also a therapist. Um, He has worked with over 100 churches to help with their victims of pastoral and leadership abuse. That is quite a um, resume right there. That's (laughs) that's really amazing. And yeah, I would love for our audience to get to know you even more. Could could you maybe elaborate in your own words, sort of your backstory, how you became a therapist, what okay. led you to there, and what you are doing right now? So I started out uh, actually to become a doctor. And oh. during my second year of pre-med, uh, I went through an emotional crisis. Uh, that's neither here nor there, but I ended up taking some time off and decided because I was in an evangelical church, my pastor thought it might be a good idea if I explored maybe the Bible a little bit more. So I went to a um, seminary or actually a a Bible college in Saskatchewan, Canada. And while I was there, uh, I met some great people. It was a very unusual time at that college. Mm. I ended up going overseas during that time to West Africa and fell in love with one of the tribes there and wanted to go back. So I met my wife who was a nurse and she was hoping to go to West Africa. So we actually got trained as Bible translators. Oh. And we were were going to be working with the Fula tribe in West Africa. And that was kind of our plan. During our first year of home assignment in a church, our oldest son got juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And it was so serious that he had to be on the only treatment that existed at the time, which was uh, baby aspirin. He had to be on 24 baby aspirin a day. So we realized we weren't going to be able to go overseas. Mm. So we decided to start looking around for something else that we could do stateside. And we ended up taking a small church in the mountains of British Columbia, 20 members. They Mm. sent us there because they figured that we couldn't hurt them. They've been (laughs) 20, 20 members for 40 years. We couldn't do any damage to that. At the same time, I began to do a lot of counseling in that town. Uh, at that time, the whole concept of child sexual abuse was people were becoming aware of it. And that particular county had the most child sexual abuse in the entire province of British Columbia, and yet they had wow. no social workers. Wow. So they asked me if I would get some basic training as a social worker, which I did. The government of British Columbia paid for me to get some basic training. Hmm. And they said, uh, you might want to get some more training. So mm. I did, and I started at um, Northwest Baptist Seminary and then at University of British Columbia, eventually getting a, a degree in psychology, uh, but not but not therapy. I, it wasn't mm. a therapist, it was just in research psychology. And I worked in the prison system during that time, and I worked with sex offenders. Mm. Wow, wow. So at the same time, I was pastoring a church, mm-hmm. uh, that church was 20 Um, we started working with drug addicts in that town. There were a lot of them and a lot of them started coming to church. And within about five years, we had 250 people in that Mm. church. 
and I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a therapist. Mm. Uh, so I left that church and moved down to Montana so I could finish my education over in Washington. And at that time, I began to be a full-time therapist. Uh, it's a long story. I went through a number uh, of crises in my own life. I went through trauma therapy, uh, went to a clinic, uh, inpatient clinic in Spokane, Washington. It's just part of my story. Uh, I've really experienced all the levels of care that can be given to people right. in therapy. And I realized that the trauma therapy was the most effective. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that really gives us kind of a background of your experience. And I really think it's interesting how you were a pastor and you were kind of called out um, even by the, the local government to become a therapist. And that's, that's really, really cool. And uh, I know you've helped so many different people. Um, I guess I would love to hear about something that you specialize in, which is EMDR mm -hmm. therapy. And I know right. a lot of the audience here on the Courage 365 show is fascinated with this topic. And I am too. Mm -hmm. I have not gone through EMDR therapy, but I've heard amazing things. Would you mind telling us a little bit about EMDR therapy? Like, what is it? How does it work? Okay. So in order to understand EMDR, it's, it's probably necessary to understand what trauma is. Yeah. Because EMDR is based on the concept of how trauma affects you. Mm. Uh, back in, really back everywhere be, before 1980, trauma was thought of simply as uh, an impact to the brain. So if you're in a car accident mm -hmm. and you have whiplash, that would be considered trauma. Right. If you were in a war situation and a grenade went off near you and the, the blast, the concussion from the blast would affect your brain, that right. was considered trauma. What wasn't considered trauma is psychological things that were done to mm. you, sexual, uh, emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse that didn't include hitting the head. So a therapist didn't consider that to be trauma. Uh, and yet something was seriously wrong with many people who went through those psychological situations. Right. In, in the 1980s, the, the, the theory of the brain began to change. Up to that point, it was thought that the brain was a static organ. That is the different lobes only did one thing or did a number of things, but they, they mm -hmm. stayed static. They didn't change very much. Right. In the 1980s, the concept of the plastic brain began to be developed. The idea that the brain can actually change itself. Mm -hmm. uh, for your listeners, I'd really recommend the book by Norman Doidge uh, called The Brain That Changes Itself. It, hmm. it really gives the history of it. But in that, they began to realize that a number of parts of the brain, number of pieces of brain, don't develop when a child is a baby. In fact, some of them, well, there's one piece that doesn't develop until you're about 21 or 22, but there's one particular piece called the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't develop until, it, it starts to develop when you're about six months old and it, it develops uh, from both sides of the brain. So the hmm. right and left hemispheres begin to grow this little horse, uh, um, this, uh, not horseshoe, um, seahorse shaped organ and it it begins to grow on both sides and then around age three to three and a half four the two sides begin to join and the the fibers between the two begin to connect the reason that's important is because until that time until the the point at which the hippocampus joins the left and right hemispheres the two hemispheres don't really communicate to each other directly they do indirectly through the through the frontal lobes but they don't communicate which means that the memories that they have are what we call implicit memories. 
That means they, your, your brain will store the visual, the auditory, the somatic, that is what your body's experiencing, mm -hmm. the emotional levels, the words that were spoken, et cetera. These are all called threads, but you can't put them together into a narrative. You can't put right. them together into a story. So that's why if you ask most people, what's their earliest memories, they'll, they'll probably relate to something around age four, maybe four and a half. That's the first time the hippocampus is able to take all those threads and put them into a story. Well, what does that have to do with trauma? Well, the brain has a unique function with the hippocampus. In fact, the whole part of the brain that the hippocampus is, is, is uh, at the very center of. When the brain feels threatened, it shuts down. Right, right. It doesn't shut down everything because you have to function. So it shuts down the hippocampus so that you are not overloaded with the information of what's happening to you. Right. That's a wonderful function of the brain. Many of us would be completely destroyed inside if it wasn't for that. Little children being sexually assaulted. Mm. They have no they have no categories to put sexual assault in. They especially if it's a trusted caregiver like a parent or an uncle or grandparent so what begins to happen though is the brain knows that it's missing something mm -hmm. it knows that these pieces are not fitting together because what what we tend to do let's say one of your listeners has a bad day at work they'll come home and they'll maybe have dinner and have a drink afterwards and think what did that mean what happened so what they're using is their explicit memory. They're going through all the threads of the day mm -hmm. and their brain can figure it out. And the next day they decide, maybe I don't want to be at this job or maybe I should, um, I should escalate it upwards to a, to a therapist, to somebody. Yeah. But, it, but if you have implicit memories, you can't do that. In mm -hmm. fact, with implicit memories, every time you touch one of the threads, like the visual thread, Mm -hmm. it, it's like an overstrung guitar string and it just starts to vibrate mm. and in fact it can cause physical damage it can cause emotional reactions yeah uh for instance you take a soldier who's been in in combat and comes home and hears a loud noise yeah all of a sudden the, that auditory uh, thread starts vibrating in their head and mm -hmm. immediately they don't feel safe. And so a car backfires and they jump over a hedge. Right, right, exactly. And they don't even think about it. It's just an auto automatic response. So sure. getting to EM EMDR, that's that's let, trauma creates uh, implicit memory threads mm -hmm. that the brain can't do anything with. The brain doesn't know how to put them yeah. together. Right. In the 1980s, Francine Shapiro and, and a number of others developed a technique that forces the hippocampus to engage those threads when a person goes back and remember. And, and it's a, it can be done a number of different ways. But the first way that they began to develop it, they, they had a light bar where, where a light would go mm -hmm. across the screen back and right, forth. Right. And the persons doesn't move their head, but they move their eyes. And as they move their eyes back and forth, in order to follow the light, it forces the hippocampus to stay engaged. It can't disengage because it has to. It's one of the organs that that uh, brings sight into into uh, stereoptic vision. Mm -hmm. So as the therapist then begins to ask the person to go through the various threads in them in the memory, the hippocampus for the first time starts to engage with those threads right. and starts to put them together into an explicit memory. 
that now the client can go back to afterwards mm. and work out. Right. Especially their brain is able to say, this isn't happening to me right now. Mm. It happened to me 10 years ago or it happened to me right. 20 years ago. Yeah. And what happens is because of that, the person no longer has these threads that are over tightened. They don't react to things like they were. Right, right. Because I'm guessing like when it, it sounds to me kind of like a, a big puzzle where you have like all these pieces mm -hmm. everywhere. And then with EMDR therapy, you're kind of able to put the puzzle piece together. And right. then you're able to look at the puzzle piece and be like, yeah, that picture is true of my life, but it's not happening right now. It's a picture. Is, is that kind right. of a way to look it, at it? It is. So the brain does, the brain can do the work. Right. Uh, th this, for some reason, uh, if, if we give the brain enough tools, it will figure a lot of these things out on its own. But, mm. but if we don't help it out in that, in those first couple of nudges, yeah, the brain just constantly has PTSD reactions, just has right. this post post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. It just says, and people say, I can't handle this. Yeah, it's it's yeah. too much. I can't do it. So what we also do, though, because many times we're dealing with memories where people dissociated. Mm -hmm. uh, many people listening to this, uh, even if they tried to touch the memory, it would it'd be right. like they go blank. Mm -hmm. or they, so, so we have a number of other techniques that we use before we ever go into the memory, before we ever... Usually what I do, for instance, is I just pass my fingers in front of the person's eye okay. and, and like that. It, it, I don't have to have any complicated equipment to do it. Yeah. But what we do first is we set up what's called a safe place. And a safe okay. place is a, is a mental image that the person can revert back to if they're starting to get traumatized again. Yes. Do you use that? Yes. I, um, the first time I felt completely safe was on my honeymoon with my husband and we um, were on a cruise ship and we went on this island we were in the water and we were like playing in the water together. And I like for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, nobody can find me. Like I'm completely safe here. And so whenever I'm getting like panicky, I go back to to that memory. So, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. This is what I, I like to tell my clients that for the brain to understand itself, it needs an interface. It needs to have something. So right. the mind is actually an overlay over top of the brain. It's mm -hmm. it, the mind is the way that the brain understands itself. Yeah. So in order for us to help the brain out, we have to give it some kind of an interface, some kind of a connection to itself. Mm. But, but what's interesting by doing that is that once the brain is able to create this visual safe place, the areas of the brain that are very hyper reactive to danger, right. calm down mm. and they stop reacting. Mm. And and it's not like the therapist or the client knows which area of the brain to tweak. We don't. I right, mean, we don't right. even know. Each each client has a separate system for that. All we know is that the person's brain can figure it out themselves if you give mm -hmm. it an interface to work with. Wow. So That's there are a number of therapies that do this. EMDR is not the only therapy mm -hmm. that does. But once we come have the safe place, then then we negotiate with let's say uh, dissociative parts and we say yeah. uh, we, we want to go in this way you allow us to go in and dissociative parts will often do that with people who are extremely traumatized will sometimes start out by just putting a picture window in the safe place where they can actually just observe mm. from a distance 
that's the, cool. the thing that's going on while while I'm doing uh, EMDR sets. Right. Um, what what we usually do with clients is we ask them to measure the intensity of the emotional reaction they have to the memory when we start mm. on a scale of zero to ten. Yeah. And then at the then as we go along, we get them to re keep reassessing mm -hmm. what it is. And then by the time we get to be about four or five. Uh, because the, the, really the the emotional reactivity will drop that much over just even one or two sessions. Right, right. Then what then what we do is we begin to install new new beliefs and new truths into that into into that uh, memory, mm. so that no longer will the memory mean what it meant before. For instance, right. uh, you may you may have a person who was abused as a child who believed it was their fault. That's a very right. common uh, false belief. Right. So after we've desensitized, and that's the D, by the way, in EMDR, mm. eye movement, eye movement, mm -hmm. desensitization. So we've got to desensitize right. the, we've got to, we've got to um, untighten those guitar strings so that a person yeah. can handle the memory. Then we go back and reprocess, which is what the R is. And in, in, we go back in and we install new ideas into it. So okay. we, we would actually say to the child, this can never be your fault. Right. It could never be something you did wrong. You did were not to blame. You right. didn't cry out because you felt frozen. It wasn't your fault. What is unbelievable to clients is then when I asked them, do you feel at fault in this? When they told me just a half an hour before that they felt great shame in this, mm. they feel none. They don't even yeah. try not to feel it. They just don't feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is, um, it reminds me, I do uh, EFT tapping. I just right. got a certification in that and it it's very much a um, simplified version, but even with mm -hmm. this very simple, like tapping on the meridian points, um, like you said from on the scale from one to 10, you can be like an eight. And then after going through the patterning, you can be like a four in like 15 right. minutes or something. And that's incredible. And so walk me through, like if somebody came to your office and they were like, okay, I'm ready to do EMDR, um, how, how would that session go? So you get them to their safe place mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. what happens next? So what we're doing in the safe place is giving them a sense of self because mm -hmm. what is often lost in trauma is who am I? Because right. we get lost in these threads. So we give a sense of self, often I'll have them uh, sit in a place or stand in, in a very mm -hmm. specific spot in their safe place and get completely grounded in that moment. Mm. Uh, I'll have them allow all the tension to leave so that they can feel, and, and they will instantly know they can come back here. I'll tell clients, you don't have to tell me you're coming back mm -hmm. to the safe place. At any yeah. moment, if we're going through the memory, zip, yeah. you're back to the safe place. Yeah. Yeah. And just say, oh, Mike, uh, catch up to me. I'm in my safe place. Yeah. Then we look to see if there's any parts of their psyche that don't want them to go into this memory. Mm -hmm. So we negotiate with those parts because they've mm -hmm. created these kind of managers that don't want them to go into the safe place. Right, right. Once we've done all that, we will then, I will have them blend into the person in the memory. So they'll become whatever age that is. Mm -hmm. And I'll do it very slowly. If, if right. they start, if, the, if they can't handle it, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it through the picture window, even, mm -hmm. and even if they can't do, we'll do what's called a flashing. That is, they'll have just a flash image of the memory mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Just yeah. one little flash. So, so we'll, we make sure the number one goal of all EMDR therapists mm -hmm. is nobody gets re-traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that. It's absolutely a rule. You don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then once they're handling that, then we have them go through, especially if it's a traumatic memory, we have them go through thread by thread. So I'll have mm -hmm. them walk through the memory and just note the visual things they're seeing. Mm -hmm. Not anything else, not the meaning right. of them or anything. But then right. the auditory, then we'll go through again with with the what is your body feeling? Right. Um, I, I I will ask them beforehand, what is your what is your comfort level at describing, for instance, mm -hmm. sexual abuse? What is your comfort level? Uh, you don't have to describe to me right. certain things so that they, they right. will some some have comfort level that are beyond others mm -hmm. then as we go through then once all the threads have been pulled then i have them walk through the memory completely and all the time i'm doing various sets of mm -hmm. fingers going back and forth i'll stop okay. at times because their eyes get tired right so we'll give them but they'll keep walking through the memory mm -hmm. when when they walk through a number of times i'll ask them uh there's a I'll ask them what their emotional level is. If it's dropped below a five, mm -hmm. we'll then go back to the safe place and, and I'll have them disengage the, the, from themselves, from right, the, in the memory. Right. And then we'll just have a discussion. We'll talk about what's that little girl going through in the memory. What is mm -hmm. the hardest thing she, I, I try to bring separation between the yeah. person in the memory uh -huh. and the person right now, because the person in the memory is not them. Right, right. But every time they react to the memory, mm -hmm. it's like they were back in there again. And and that's not yeah. true. Right. They right. are never back in there again. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then we just go back one idea at a time. We'll go back mm -hmm. in and and I have them install the new idea there. And they'll mm -hmm. often do it by ta tapping their leg. So very similar to the tapping that mm -hmm. you do. Just to, once again to engage the the hippocampus. And yeah. that's We'll do that until the, what's called the suds level, until the suds level gets down to at least two or below. Hmm. Sometimes it won't go, sometimes it won't go below two because uh -huh. there's sadness in the memory. Sure, sure. And there's really no way to remove sadness from the memory. Yeah, yeah. The person has to grieve sometimes the loss mm -hmm. of innocence. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, yeah, anyways. No, that, that makes so much sense. And what's really standing out to me is just the power of visualization and mm -hmm. so whether it's visualizing the safe place or whether it is visualizing, um, remembering that time when you were in this bad experience, whether it's in childhood or, or later, um, and how just just how amazing the mind is with visualization. And it makes me think about athletes, how they use visualization mm -hmm. oftentimes to help them win, you know, tournaments or, um, you know, games and things and that they're really is power in our imagination. And I, I think of right. a lot of times, um, particularly children are like, oh, you're daydreaming, you need to pay attention and you know all these different right. things, but our imagination is so powerful. And if as adults, we could use our imagination and visualization and really harness that in ways um, with a professional beside us to heal ourselves, to mm -hmm. any time we want, go to a different place, you know, in the world, we can just imagine that and bring those feelings into our body for calmness and meditation. Mm -hmm. And so this is a really, really fascinating um, topic. And I'm just so interested in the brain. And thank you for sharing that. It's so easy to understand the way you explained it. Right. What what could people expect as a possible outcome? I know everybody's outcome is different, but if they go mm -hmm. through EMDR therapy, um, what are like some success stories that you've heard of? Like, what are some possibilities of how it could change their life? So, 
what often happens out of trauma is people develop reactions to trauma. Right, the, right. The, the brain knows that there's these missing pieces. So it, it tries to compile them into some kind of a sense of, of safety. The brain is always yeah. trying to keep itself safe. Almost every psychological condition, negative psychological condition, is simply the result of the brain trying to keep itself safe. So mm -hmm. eating disorders, right. uh, cutting cutting oneself, um, right. hyper-focus, OCD, mm -hmm. uh, many other things are, are really reactivities of the brain to keep itself safe. And right. when, those, when those get extreme, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. or even complex PTSD. Right, and what's so, the difference there just for the audience? Complex and- right. so, so PTSD is a reaction of the brain to specific traumas, like mm -hmm. to, to major trauma. Uh, complex PTSD is trauma that's experienced over a long period of time mm -hmm. Uh, usually by somebody in extreme control over the person that's going through it. So right. for instance, you might have a, a person experiencing a sec, a physical assault from a spouse, spousal assault right. over a two or three or 10 year period. Yeah. So they don't have any one of those that maybe uh, was traumatic. They didn't get hit in the head. They don't remember right. any of them, but they found over time that every part of their mm. brain was affected yeah. by this by this uh, power dynamic between the two. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So complex PTSD means the entire system related mm -hmm. to that one person and to the power dynamic that they had. Right. Often people often people in adult abuse situations and and even children whose parents were narcissistic will mm -hmm. will have complex PTSD. But okay. regardless whether it's complex or uh, just simple PTSD, when you've gone through the EMDR process the brain then begins to say, I'm not as unsafe as I was before. Mm. And maybe I can start adapting to the world in a different way. Now, that's not wow. automatic. Yeah. So, yeah. so where cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy, yeah. or other methods start to come in is then beginning to help the person to cope with mm. reality, nowadays reality, not, not mm -hmm. the reality of who you right. were when you were five. To cope with it in a in a mature way in an adult way mm, yeah uh, what i have done personally is i, I use uh, internal family systems which is another therapy that works really well with yeah. people who who are recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. it helps the person gain uh, leadership their self gain leadership in mm -hmm. the internal system that they've yeah. created to protect themselves uh, i think also you see that people who who have eating disorders Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of one client about 10 years ago, and I don't have her permission, of course, to share details, so I wouldn't. Sure, sure. But simply, simply to say that after EMDR, this person, though we weren't dealing with her ED, mm -hmm. uh, just phoned me up one day and just said, it's all gone. Wow. Wow. So it was probably connected to something that you worked on, but she didn't, and right. you didn't realize that connection. Wow. Wow. I, huh. Yeah, and what she came in for it was she came she came in with night terrors and some other things mm -hmm. and so we were working through that and I recognized that there was childhood wow. uh, trauma so we yeah. did the PTSD she hadn't told me she was bulimic I I had no concept uh -oh. that she was bulimic huh. so when she told me she said I I'm not binging and purging anymore mm. and and uh, yeah so you'll see people who who go through EMDR and mm -hmm. they stop cutting or wow. they stop they stop um sabotaging their relationships yeah that's a big one yeah they stop allowing people to take advantage of them they, mm -hmm. they find codependency tends to get much 
more manageable when a person's gone through PTSD. For yeah, instance. yeah, that makes sense. Wow, but those would be some amazing. examples. Yeah, that's that's really incredible, and I love how you'd mentioned this previously and kind of explained this in your example of the woman with bulimia, um, but you don't even necessarily have to know all the things that are going off in the brain, like going through this process can fix some specific things that you want to work on, but it could also fix Mm -hmm. some other things that you and your therapist didn't even know were related or therapist wasn't aware was there. The client didn't feel comfortable talking about. So that's, that's so empowering. And it, it gives, I think survivors hope that there's actually a way to address this because you know, with talk therapy, it's extremely important, but you know, mm-hmm. you can get to a point where it's like, well, I've just talked about this so mm-hmm. much. There's nothing left to talk about, but I f- still feel like crap. And right. I feel like EMDR offers like, okay, now you've talked about what happened. Now let's bring it into a place where we can actually have these tools to mm-hmm. alleviate the stress going on in your body. That's really incredible. And, um, you know, for for people who are survivors, sometimes they're in a situation where they're going through a court case or they're, you know, in the middle of some type of a lawsuit based mm-hmm. on the abuse that they've experienced. Um, right. Is it something where it is helpful for people to go through EMDR before that process? Um, or is it recommended that you do it later? I've heard different rumors that sometimes people can use mm-hmm. it against you. Um, talk to us maybe about that. What's your opinion on it? I, I can't comment on the legal aspects of it because I, first of all, I don't have a clue how that sure. would relate. I, I do know what's been said mm. in courts about it. Um, various people have, have tried to claim that EMDR doesn't have good scientific foundation, though I could I could show you page after page after page of uh, right. in in peer reviewed journals where it's been shown to have dramatic changes. If if I were to tell somebody who's going through the process of working through something in the court system, yeah. I would say if you go through EMDR, the memories of what happened to you are going to get so much clearer. Mm. Because one of the things that happens to many many people who've been victimized, especially by somebody in authority is that the the autonomic nervous system, that part of us mm-hmm. that, that really reacts without us having to choose, right? Uh, often will create um, uh, uh, what's called a polyvagal reaction to mm-hmm. shut us down so we don't have to even experience somebody. If, if people remember uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony yeah, yeah. Uh, about in the Kavanaugh hearings, she was she's a psychologist and she was very clear that yeah. there were parts of that experience that she had that she doesn't remember. Right. Uh, it, it isn't so much that she isn't that she doesn't want to remember it. Sure. It's that her brain did shut down during that time. Exactly. And and it's a it's an automatic response. It's not like the person says, "Oh, I'm too timid to think about this." Sure. But what happens with EMDR, and and a couple of other therapies, mm-hmm. somatic experiencing and others, is that the person then it's not so much that they remember. Uh, the most important detail Mm -hmm. what they remember is sometimes the least important detail Mm. but it puts the whole into context so it becomes much more a rational uh you you can see the timeline of what happened yeah so so i told you that i've worked with a number of churches and Mm -hmm. the effect that leaders have had when they've abused 
yeah. their client. Sometimes the grooming and controlling process where a pastoral leader has moved somebody into a sexual relationship mm -hmm. with them, abused them through that sexual right. relationship. Sometimes the grooming and controlling has taken three or four years. Right. I mean, it, right. it can be a long-term situation. Yeah. yeah. There's often a plot and, and a plan. Yeah. Absolutely. And so when, when the person's thinking back, often because there's various points at which there was trauma, mm -hmm. they, they, they lose some of that narrative. They, right. and, and so they, they sound like they don't know what they're talking about, mm -hmm. even to, even to themselves. And right. that's a disconcerting thing for somebody sure. when you're looking back on your abuse and say, I, I don't, I don't remember. Right, right. What happens with EMDR is it, it's not so much that they've forgotten the abuse is they forgot why on earth they would ever have been in his mm -hmm. office at 1030 yeah. at night or yeah. why would they have been in that car on a road somewhere? Mm -hmm. yeah. they, just, they just don't remember. Right. What EMDR does is it gives the bigger context yeah. to what happened. And then it, then the brain can fill in all the pieces from there. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's that's really, really amazing. And if somebody was to say, want to do EMDR therapy, they wanted to give it a try, like how would they mm -hmm. go about finding a good EMDR therapist? How would they, um, right. like, is there a system they can look it up in or, you know, how does that work? Well, there's, there's two ways they can do it right away. Um, number one, almost every health plan now has an EMDR therapist connected to it. I, mm -hmm. I have directed people to EMDR therapists uh, and I say, do you have a, do you have health insurance? And right. They go, yes. And if they say yes, I guarantee you their health plan has an EMDR therapist. Wow. I've, I've wow. yet to run into somebody who didn't. However, some people either don't have health insurance or they've contacted their health insurance and they don't, you know, the EMDR therapist is five months out from being right. able to meet with them. Um, there, there are two other things. Well, first of all, a psychology today magazine has a, an active database of hmm. uh, find a psychologist it's called. Right. And they, they will, you just type in the keyword EMDR and your hmm. location and they will pull that up. Now your listeners need to be aware that, that, that doesn't mean everybody has the same certification. So mm -hmm. I would suggest that they, that they ask the therapist, do you have, are you fully certified? Are mm -hmm. you level two certified would be ideal. Mm -hmm. Level one certification is, is good. Um, but level two certification would be better. Right. Um, especially if they have childhood trauma, uh, if right. they dissociate, I yeah. wouldn't go to a level one EMDR therapist, mm -hmm. not, not that they couldn't do it, but they haven't gone through that part of the training right, yet if they're right. level one. Yeah. yeah. The other way you can do it is there's a number of telehealth uh, networks now, and I, I don't want to endorse one over the other for mm -hmm. a couple of reasons, but you can look up telehealth mm -hmm. and, and there are, there are distance specialists. You can do EMDR over the internet. Mm, that's good to know. In fact, I, I had to go through a certification in order to do EMDR online. And wow. I, Right, right now, which has become very handy. Yeah, with the, the pandemic. Uh, shelter yeah. with the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all of my clients I'm doing EMDR with. I did six EMDR sessions yesterday. Wow. Online. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I think that gives people a lot of hope because, um, like, I live in a really small town right now. I'm in Mount Airy, North Carolina, and pretty sure there's no EMDR therapist, like, in the neighborhood. Um, so not. I can't be the only one that, you know, it's like in a very small place. Like if you're closer to a bigger city, those types of things. Um, right. 
it's it's really great to know that you can do the telehealth thing. And my understanding with insurance is that um, they don't have to be in your neighborhood. They just have to be in your state to be covered um, by insurance. So, you know, if you live in a small town and you want to find a therapist in the capital of your state um, who's close to, you know, some type of a Mm -hmm. therapy, um, well-known school that's well-known for therapy, that type of thing, like, you have some options. And so that's that's really helpful right. to know that it can be done online. I, 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 I do know that Aetna and Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in some cases will allow out-of-state um, oh. uh, therapists to, to do EMDR. I don't know exactly. You'll have to check with your provider, okay. but I don't, I know, I do know a few therapists who work with Aetna mm. who, who have been able to do interstate. Uh, I'm not on a network that does, but right. I know a number of them are. That's really, really good to know. I think that's um, that's just going to be helpful information for people about therapy in general, but specifically about EMDR if they want to give it a try and there's not somebody super local right. to them. Uh, well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Mike Phillips in just a few minutes. Hey, my name's Ashley Easter, and with Intuition Mastery, it is my mission to empower women to make wise decisions for themselves so they can take charge of their life and their destiny. I do this through teaching about the power of intuition, of tapping into your very own inner wisdom. When women tap into their intuition, they are more likely to be safer, happier, more successful, and more abundant. And when they do this, they then in turn not only create this wonderful experience for themselves, but also for those around them. With Intuition Mastery, I teach you the tips, the tricks, and the tools to dive deep into your intuition so you can confidently make decisions for yourself. Hey, we're back with the Courage 365 show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter, and we are talking to Mike Phillips today. Mike has been telling us all about EMDR therapy and just everything you need to know about this topic. If you are just tuning in now, you're definitely going to want to catch the replay because this is some very valuable stuff. Lots of mic drops in here. Uh, so, Mike, I, I would love to wrap up this interview by asking you, what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received? What's something that's really stuck with you, changed your life, made a difference for you? That's a great question. Um, my wife was finishing off her master's degree in nursing down at Fullerton, at CSU Fullerton, and I attended a class with her taught by Dr. William Glasser. And I love, he, the author of Choice Theory, it was right near the end of his life. And he, this is what he said in class one day. He said, this, the bad news is there's very little you control in your life. Mm. You don't control other people. You don't control the past. You don't control the future. You can't control what anybody around you is going to do. However, this is what you do control. You do control what you will do next. And you do control what you will focus on this moment. Mm. And he said, if you take charge of those two things, you will change your life. Wow. Wow. That's absolutely right. Yeah, that that is so powerful. And yeah, it's like taking personal responsibility for yourself. You get to choose what happens next in the game. That's that's really amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, for our listeners who want to follow you on social media, check out your website. How how can they get in touch with you? How can they see more of your work? So my blog, which 
centers a lot around my trauma therapy, but also looks at some of the theological uh, opinions that I have, which are broad and many than whatever. Uh, Mikeinsack.com, M-I-K-E-I-N-S-A-C.com. I'm in Sacramento, so everything has to do with Sac. Uh, and then on Twitter, uh, I am SacWriter, W-R-I-T-E-R, at SacWriter. Um, my, my handle is Mike the Annoyer because I believe that part of my calling in life is to annoy the heck out of everybody. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that's so great. So you guys, this is the person you're going to want to follow. Like he's, he's got really wise things to say, but also he's pretty funny. So <laughs> a little off the, a little off the wallet. <laughs> my, my wife, my wife reads it and she said, you did not just say that. There's no <laughs> way you just said that. We're going to get hate mail. And I said, well, it's only going to come to me. So don't worry about it. <laughs> That's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. I know everybody enjoyed this so much. Uh, we're really honored to have had you here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, definitely go follow Mike on social media, but also follow Courage365. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We simultaneously stream this broadcast every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern to all three of those social media platforms. So if one works better for you than another, you know, make sure you go ahead and follow. And personal request right now, we have only like 23 followers on YouTube. And if we can hit 100 followers, then we get a custom URL, which is really helpful and easier for us, for people to find us. So if you wouldn't mind going to YouTube and subscribing to Courage365, that would help us so much and we would be eternally grateful. So yes, please check us out on social media and also go to courage365.org where you can find all the replays of our past episodes. This episode will be uploaded there as well. We also have a need help page with a list of resources. If you are in need of a crisis hotline, supportive blogs and websites, other organizations, they're all categorized by different types of abuse or support that you're interested in. We also have this great free ebook. It is Five Keys to Living a Life of Courage, and this can really help you take some steps forward in your life of courage. I would love for you to download that. That is our free gift for you just for coming on the website. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching and live every day with courage.